Welcome to True Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Instruction. Hello, Truth Transistors. Welcome to episode number 34. And today I'm calling it Intro to Eschatology. Uh, maybe I'll call it End Times because <laughs> I don't know if everybody knows what eschatology means. It means things of the end, but for the sake of people that are not, that, that are not into uh, theological lingo, um, and in, in the effort to not sound like a theological snob, I'll just call it end times because <laughs> I don't consider myself a theological snob. But And uh, what we're going to do is look at a few uh, views on end times. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. Um, I'm kind of going to be summarizing them and then go through a few passages that convinced me of the view that I hold. But it won't be any deep, you know, uh, I guess you could say debate. Um, I, I might, what I might do is share a few people that show, share different views and you can go to them. Um, or I might just give you the title of the views and then you can um, look them up and find out who holds those views and, and listen to their take on it. Um, that might be the easiest thing to do. But first, I would like to talk a little bit about a movie I saw last night called Jesus Revolution. Um, there are some, uh, I guess you could say, mixed feelings on the movie. Um, there's what what I call is, uh, so, uh, something called heresy hunters, although I think there's a difference between being discerning and those who are heresy hunters. I, I think there's a, a difference. Um in, in that if something is, is being uh, unbiblical, um, that is, you know, obviously a heresy. And, and there, you know, I consider myself kind of, a, I try to be a, a watcher on the wall. I try to be discerning. But at the same time, there's people that I think go too far with that and they start to find a heresy in everything. And, um, so these are kinds of things that that uh, there's a balance there, and to me the balance is scripture. What does the scripture say? There's obviously there's um, major issues, and then there's secondary issues, and third dairy issues, however you want to say that, that are um, that are kind of out there. Um, you know the 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 most important issues are those that have to do with the gospel. Um, secondary issues are things that might be questionable biblically, but they're not necessarily salvation issues. <laughs> um, and, and then beyond that are things that are debated amongst conservative scholars. And 
thus are not worth being divided over, although there's churches and denominations created to divide over those things, right? Anyway, so getting back to this movie, it's about the early Jesus people movement. That is um, when hippies started coming to Christ. Now, it was kind of a strange thing because a lot of churches were so conservative and clean cut and anti-hippie that they didn't allow them in their churches. And Chuck Smith was one that met, um, he was a pastor of this small church in California, and um, he had the same attitude as a lot of the conservative Christians at the time. But I think God started opening him up, opening opening him up and softening him a bit to because you know they need Jesus too and you think about Jesus who um who said to the Pharisees he said I did not come to you know the Pharisees were complaining that he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners you know tax collectors were kind of the evil people at the, of the day and sinners um people like Mary Magdalene who was caught in adultery or the woman at the well or you know others that the Pharisees looked down upon right well anyway Chuck Smith began to open the door and that was to some complaints from some of the people that went to his church and um, and even people that supported the church financially and all this stuff he began to open the door to some of these hippies that were either seeking or one of the first, I don't know if it was the first one he met, but in the movie it was. And I don't want to give away spoilers too much, but this is kind of the beginning of it where a man named Lonnie Frisbee came along and they met up. Uh, they met somehow. I, um, and Lonnie Frisbee was a hippie, but he was a Christian and he was out preaching the gospel to a lot of hippies and having a lot of uh, fruit, I guess you could say. Um, I don't want to say success in his right, but the whole the that God was using him to bring a lot of hippies to Christ. <laughs> and uh, he eventually came in contact with Chuck Smith, and Chuck Smith eventually let him in his church. Now there was complaints because you know this dirty hippie with dirty feet came in barefoot and got the carpet dirty and <laughs> the new carpet dirty and all this stuff. And so Chuck Smith was like, well, why don't we take out the carpet? You know? Um, anyway, you can watch the movie about that, but it started this whole thing that became a huge deal where thousands and thousands of hippies were coming to Christ. And he was one of the first to invite them in um, but not only that, he was bringing them to Christ, baptizing them, and then eventually started a shepherding or discipleship movement. That is, once they become saved, they start to have Bible studies to become more mature, you know, more one-on-one -on -one or small group kind of things to create, um, new leadership, right? Um, because sometimes when, a lot of people come to Christ. There can be some immaturity and not enough leaders. But 
of course, if the Holy Spirit is working, then uh, these things can be, you know, it it might be it might seem like an impossible task, but I think sometimes the Holy Spirit will work and and bring people uh, into maturity when needed. You know, um, there was good and bad that came out of this. You know, obviously having a lot of immature hippies coming to Christ, so to speak. Some of them would mix it with their other, you know transcendental meditation or other things to create kind of these, um, I guess you could say mixtures of Christianity and other things, right? And sometimes cults were created that came out of this. Um, one of them, children of God, um, and, uh, I found out, after my grandma passed away, my step-grandma, I should say, that her uncle was David Berg, the leader of the Children of God cult. And if you don't know anything about that, there's a documentary on it. Um, and uh, in Netflix, actually. And uh, basically, it was about free love, but it included children. It was very disgusting and sick. Now, my grandma, the only thing I remember her saying about her uncle was that she had an uncle that abused kids. That's all I knew, and I knew it was sexual, but I didn't know it was that big. You know, I think she even mentioned it was a cult, but I don't. I didn't know how big it was. I don't think she liked talking about it. Now, my step-grandma had a um, she married her first husband to get away from her family. Now, I don't know how close her family was to David Berg, but I did hear that she had visited uh, the Children of God once, but her family wasn't that great either. So there was, you know, issues with her family. And she married her first husband, and he was a Christian. Um, But... From what I gather, it wasn't a great marriage, and she had two daughters from that marriage. And, um, yeah, and my interaction with them, my aunts, you know, I've known them. They were born before I was, so, you know, I, uh, I've i always known her as my grandma. So, so here's the story. She, my real grandma died, and her husband died. I should say my biological grandmother that I never knew. Uh, they She died in the 60s, I think. And um, my step-grandma was also widowed. And so my grandpa proposed to, to my step-grandma, and they got married. And um, so that's kind of my connection. And she's the one I always knew as my grandma on that side of the family. I knew her ever since I was a kid, and she was a wonderful grandma. She was a godly woman, although at times she could be emotional or cranky. Um, and some, and I think my grandpa was a great balance for her. My grandpa was very even keel, very laid back, and um, probably helped her a lot because she, you know, probably because of her past had um, issues. And my grandpa helped her, but at times I could, I, I saw her on, you know, when she wasn't at her best. And um, her two daughters 
um, that I always knew as aunts. I always had good relationships with them, and I still think I do. But at times I see uh, emotional baggage there. Uh, one of them has been married several times. The other one has had bitterness because of her first marriage that didn't work out. Um, and it's very sad, but I think honestly that their spiritual darkness can be passed down through generations. You know, you hear about this in the scripture. Um, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here from where I started, but, uh, I, I kind of wonder if that's affected them. And if, you know, even though they're not directly, ancestor to David Berg, he comes from the same family and there might be other things in that family line that I don't know about. Um, so, you know, but anyway, children of God (laughs) was one of those that came out of sort of this hippie Christian movement in a negative direction. And so there, there were some things I think in the Jesus revolution movie also that were positive and negative. Um, so the thing with Lonnie Frisbee that I mentioned earlier, he was, uh, he was a very, uh, passionate Christian, very passionate about evangelism. Uh, he also, um, you know, and I'm not here to attack any denomination, but it's just my opinion. I think that a lot of Christians desire to follow the word of God. And sometimes that can lead to mistakes uh, in in their understanding of scripture. Um, I think that, um, I, I believe that miracles happen. I believe that there could be people with the gifts. I don't believe in cessation. That means like you can lose uh, or that you you have the gift of, sorry, sensation means that uh, after the New Testament or after Acts, um, the gifts, those kind of gifts uh, stopped. I don't believe that. But I am very suspicious of a lot of charismatic movements uh, that can be very exper- experiential. And, um, and there are fake miracle workers and things like that. Um, and people that prophesy and and stuff that so you know I'm not here to say say that there are no good ones but what I am saying is I think a lot of it is fake I'll just be up front now I think from what I gather um I think Lonnie Frisbee who was who was on fire for God and on fire for salvation uh I mean for witnessing to people and bringing people to Christ I think he also wanted to live out the book of Acts, which has a lot of miracles and prophecy and, and things like that. And um, and I think it's a, a noble deed. I think they're trying to understand scripture, but if you're forcing something that God's not there, you know, uh, that's not good. <laughs> so that's what I would have to say there. And I think um, now... Also, there's other issues with Lonnie Frisbee that in the mid 80s, he fell away. And there's all kinds of rumors about him. I've I've seen some people say he was gay the whole time, but they don't have any 
evidence of that. But when talking to, or not talking, but when listening to a friend of his talk about him, uh, who was really close to him from 79 to 87, he said that he started falling away in the mid-80s. And he had to uh, cut ties with him. And falling away, uh, you know, the, the, the story about Lonnie Frisbee is pretty interesting because he did not have a good childhood. Uh, I think he was abused as a child and, and things and felt neglect from his father. And so when Chuck Smith was trying to correct him on some things and say, I don't want you to go in that direction, which is the hyper charismatic direction, um, he felt neglected and he left. Um, and you know, so there was a point in time where he was feeling neglected. He was, he wasn't feeling like, uh, I don't know what was going on exactly, but he kind of fell away and, and started, you know, he got divorced. His marriage didn't work out in the seventies and, uh, he was sleeping around in the eighties and that may have included men. Um, he said, well, he acknowledged before he got saved that he had, slept with everybody, men and women. So, uh, he was probably bi, but, um, he did repent in the early nineties, uh, to people that he knew. This is just what I've heard. So I'm not proclaiming this. I never knew Lonnie Frisbee, but, um, so the main point I wanted to bring up here is how you've got these heresy hunters that, automatically throw him out because he struggled with some things and they deny that he ever repented or whatever. But the people close to him and the pastors that, you know, were close to him said he did, you know, and, um, I think, I think people can struggle and, and then come back. I think, you know, it's prodigal thing. Um, I, I am a little concerned about some of the denomination. I, I think that his movement started the Vineyard Church. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm a little suspicious of some of the charismatic stuff. But again, I'm not here to judge anybody <laughs> out there. If you believe in speaking in tongues, I, I am not sure what tongues is. I'm not sure what speaking in tongues and angels. So I'm not judging anybody else. I know that I did it once as a kid and I didn't think what I did at least was true tongues, but I don't judge other people. Um, so anyway, all that to say, go watch Jesus revolution. I think it's a good movie. Um, and, uh, so yeah. Now on to the four views of Revelation, or not four, but there's more than that. Anyway, the different views of, uh, of, of sorry, the uh, of end times. I am looking at a book here called The Four Views of Revelation. And so, um, <laughs> and I would recommend it too. It's, it's, um, it's forwarded by... Or see, edited by Steve Gregg, forwarded by Dr. Robert Klaus. Um, and it just basically has the four views that are in here are, okay, here we go at the beginning here. 
Number one is the uh, historicist approach of Revelation, which um, generally speaking is that from it's the church age. So they would say that Revelation takes place in the church age. Uh, that was one I, I wasn't familiar with before I got this book. Um, then there's the preterist approach that believes the fulfillment is in the past, shortly after the time of, of writing, like a, uh, that 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. And there's full of preterists that believe everything was fulfilled, but um, not very, there's not many that believe that, but there's partial preterists that believe the second coming is still future, uh, but that the tribulation and antichrist was in the first century. The futurist approach, which probably most people believe, um, is that, you know, the great tribulation is in the future, obviously. Now, within that, there's the pre-tribulation rapture, the mid-trib, the pre-wrath rapture, and the post-trib rapture. And then there's the spiritual approach, um, which I think that they would say it's just a general, or Revelation is just a general description of the church age from a spiritual perspective and not necessarily uh, physical his history, uh, if that makes sense. So if you want to know more about those views, just look, you know, look up each of those four. Um, and also you can find this book somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, and... Uh, yeah. Now, I'm going to focus on three major views. So the historical and spiritual, um, I'm not going to say much about, but you can look those up. But um, some of these, uh, the, the futurist view, as I described, so you have the Great Tribulation and the Millennium, right? And I think the Bible is pretty clear that the tribulation precedes the millennium. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. And that now the, the question is, where does the rapture take place in regards to these things? And the futurist view would say it's sometime during the tribulation, the pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post trib that's probably the majority the majority that i've heard is probably pre-trib rapture but um but if not pre-trib then the majority are futurists right now then there is the so all of those views would be called pre-millennial view of the rapture that is that christ returns before the millennium and that the millennium is a literal um, time where Christ reigns on the earth, physically on the earth, with the church and the resurrected saints. So the rapture has already happened, the first resurrection. And, um, and so, yeah, and so there would be a time in which, yeah, the kingdoms of this world would be given over to Christ for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, there is a rebellion 
and the final judgment occurs and the book of life is opened and uh, the final judgment. Oh, and then those who are not found in the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. Now, um, so that's the pre the premillennial view believes that the tribulation is in the future and that Christ returns sometime during that tribulation and then sets up the millennium. The post-millennial view, which believes that the Great Tribulation was in the past, around 70 AD, about the time that Israel or Jerusalem was sacked by Rome and the temple was destroyed. And they would say that... Uh, yeah, and then the millennium is the church age. So they would say that Christ is reigning now and the church is reigning with him now. And it's simply a time. So they, their interpretation of Satan being thrown into the bottomless pit to not deceive the nations anymore would be so that the Gentiles would receive the gospel Um. And, and so Satan is not going to keep the gospel from expanding across the world, which that has happened. So that would be their interpretation of it. They don't. Now, there are different views of, of the of the um, post mill. So I think there are some that believe that the church will literally create peace on earth by uh, spreading the gospel and have influence on society and culture. And so they think things will get better. Um, and so, and I guess they would have to acknowledge, although oftentimes they they claim that it's a more positive view, but they, you know, when I bring up, oh yeah, but Satan does come back and uh, deceives the nations once more, right? And they said, oh yeah, that's what it says. But they hardly bring that up. So regardless of if you're post-mill or pre-mill, there is going to be a global rebellion at the end. Uh, and uh, it's just a difference of if you think there's two or one more rebellion uh, from a global scale. But uh, but I, I don't know that I would say, you know, they always say that the post-mill is a more positive approach. But I would say that pre-mill is pretty positive at, uh, in concerning the millennium because if this is the millennium it's not as good as pre-mill would suggest it is <laughs> uh i still see you know the physical um rulers of this world tend to towards evil i'm not saying they're all evil but that's it it tends that way right so i um i have an issue with the idea that post-mill is more positive than pre-mill. I guess because a lot of pre-mill people focus on the Great Tribulation and the coming Antichrist, and everybody's trying to guess who the Antichrist is, and they think, you know, the Great Tribulation's right around the corner, that it tends to be thought of as a negative thing because we're, you know, they tend to focus a lot on on that aspect of it. Although the pre-trib rapture probably thinks, oh, if you're saved, you're gonna, not going to be here. But um, anyway, but I kind of have a different approach to that. I don't, I think the 
the Great Tribulation is three and a half to seven years, depending on how you look at it. But um, but then there's the 1,000 years of peace that I think is, if you look at it that way, to say Christ will physically be here and the church will be in the governing authorities over the earth, that's kind of exciting, you know. It's It's not quite the new heavens and the new earth, but it's exciting to think about a thousand years of peace where we will reign and rule with him. So, um, anyway, so the post mill, yeah. So the post mill says we're in the millennium now and, and, uh, things are getting better and the church will continue to, to grow and influence society and, and eventually bring in world peace. And then Christ will return at the end of that. And then there's the Amil view, which is a little uh, sketchy. I mean, it's not sketchy, but it's difficult for me to understand. But I think it's kind of a spiritual approach of the millennium. So they also believe that the Great Tribulation was in the first century and that the church age is the millennium. But I don't think that, unlike the pre- the um, the post-mill view, I believe that they don't think that there's going to be a physical uh, reigning and ruling from governing authorities on the earth, but it's more of a spiritual uh, reigning and ruling that we have authority in Christ, but it's not necessarily going to lead to uh, a world peace the way that we might hope. Um, So, they, I guess it's a little bit more of a negative approach to the millennium uh, than than either of the other views. And uh, yeah, so so these are some of the the major views. And uh, I guess I'll I'll try to start explaining my view. I would be what you would call a po- uh, sorry an historical pre-millennialist. It is a view that is held by Walter Martin, who is an apologist. He wrote a couple of books called Kingdom of the Occult and Kingdom of Cults. And, um, you know, I didn't know that was a term until later, but it's basically a post-tribulation rapture view. Uh, As far as I can understand, I'm not an historian, but based on theologians I've heard, that the pre-trib rapture is a fairly recent view. And the post-millennial view uh, is not the oldest view either, but I think, um, I'm not sure when that started, but um, but it kind of, I think it might go back to the Catholic Church, but I'm not sure. So, um, yeah, so the post-mill view, I mean, sorry, the post-trib view, or the historical pre-mill view, (laughs) pre-millennial view, uh, is basically the the reason I came to that, and I was taught originally of a pre-trib rapture. That's just what I always heard as a kid when I first heard about end times. And then through Irving Baxter, which I think there's a lot of things Irving Baxter said. Irving Baxter had a radio show. Now he's passed away, but 
he had a radio show I used to listen to that, you know, he was the first person I heard that said, we're in the end times right now. And he believed that several of the trumpets in Revelation have already blown and things like that. But he was the first one to use scripture to give the timing of the rapture within the tribulation. Uh, as of before, the pre-trib rapture view, I don't recall really giving any scriptural arguments for it except to say well it'll be suddenly nobody knows the day or hour so it has to be imminent it has to be at any time but Irving Baxter in Revel in uh, sorry Matthew 24 was reading a passage and I was like I don't remember anything being that clear because a lot of people were saying well we kind of lean towards pre-trib but there's really no clear scripture for it but I'm going to read this in Matthew 24, which convinced me of a post-tribulation rapture. So I'm just going to start from the beginning. Uh, and going back to Matthew 23. Um, let me see. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to start with 24. I thought the context was in 23, but I'm just going to start reading from verse 1 and go through it. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, don't, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another. So uh, the disciples were kind of bragging about this temple, right? And Jesus said, It's going to be destroyed. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, first of all, I want to point this out. A lot of people don't point this out, but I think it's important to think about, consider. They're asking this question as if it's at the same time. But I'm not convinced that these things are necessarily at the same time. Uh... So, like the, the destruction of the temple and the end of the age. So keep that in mind. But I don't think Jesus will clarify that. But anyway, uh, verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you not be alarmed, for this must take place but the end is not yet. Just realize, you know, there's always been throughout history people claiming to be God or or uh, wars and rumors of wars. But he's saying people will probably think it's the end of the world, but he's saying this is not a sign. Although you could say, uh, well, let me keep reading. Uh for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of giving too much commentary here because my main point is the timing of the rapture. But I'll keep reading. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated for, by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 
And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. So, Here's the Great Tribulation, which is right after the abomination of desolation occurs. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation. Such a, Okay, I've read that. And if those days had not been short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So note, people are looking for the coming of Christ, claiming that he's here or there. But he's saying it has not yet happened. Now, Preacher of Rapture would say that it's already happened earlier in this chapter, but it, they say it's between two verses. But here we are, there's the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation, and there's still nothing in this chapter, at least. So it would be an argument of silence. Now, verse 29, this is the verse that convinced me. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days... The tribulation of what days? Well, what did we just read? The, there will be a great tribulation unlike there ever was or ever will be. So it is talking about the great tribulation. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the signs of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. <laughs> Did you get that? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, sun darkened, moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heaven will be shaken, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. 
Now see, this passage right here tells me that this did not happen in the first century. I don't know that all the tribes were mourning of the earth when this occurred. Um, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trump call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This sounds a lot like in Second Thessalonians, I believe, where it says, The dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the pre-trib rapture would say that the elect is Israel. Uh, but again, if there was a pre-trib rapture, I'm not sure why it didn't mention it earlier. That seems like a big event, right? So they would say the rapture being caught up is separate from the second coming. But I guess there's a rapture of the elect after the after the tribulation, according to that view. And also, I don't think that the, you know, for the post uh, millennial view that believes all this took place in the first century. Um, I don't know that it was, there was a great, the greatest tribulation to ever happen at that time. Um, and I don't know that all the earth, all the, uh, the whole, all the tribes of the earth mourned at that time. Um, so anyway, those are just things that I don't really understand how they get to that perspective. Um, but this clearest seems to me the clearest reading of Matthew 24 is a post tribulation rapture. And I believe the gathering to the together, together the, of the elect is the rapture. The other uh, chapter in the Bible that convinced me is Revelation 20, and I'll read that. But first, I'm going to play a song by Destiny Lab called Revelation Unraveling. 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 What in the world could be happening? Could be 
relative, it's absolute It's undisputed, it's been proven, there's no substitute Conclusive facts are now offensive in our current times You'll get attacked if you attempt to shift a paradigm You can't relax enough to share your mind or even have a thought You might get bullied by the left, acting like robots Automatons that respond like they're human pawns Virtue signaling their masks towards Babylon In every area we're seeing mass hysteria And not just in America, but everywhere we're staring in the face of Armageddon As we're heading towards apocalyptic waters That we're treading toward America's dead end Producing misanthropic modern-day demonic Like embodiments modifying their minds and bodies and environments Censoring anything that's offensive unto the narrative Threatening anybody whose actions are not affirmative So what's the real message we're seeing from these progressives? If you don't agree with them, then they get violent and aggressive Essentially what they're doing is making people submissive Tell eventually beliefs and opinions won't be permitted What in the world could be happening, could be happening. When everyone that you know has been controlled into panicking Mind control like the mannequins Is this a sign of the times? Revelation unraveling What in the world could be happening When everyone that you know has been controlled into panicking Mind control like the mannequins Is this a sign of the times? Revelation unraveling Open your eyes, hear the warning call The great divide on both sides And the lies told big and small But unified we will never fall With Jesus Christ on our side We're like watchmen on the wall His word was given as pre-written future history And can be counted on with confidence and certainty Not poetry or allegory in its own category Absolutely, positively, it's his story For everything there is a season There comes a time to serve a purpose that is planned out for a reason When evil needs to be defeated We must unite and come together and even fight if it be needed Ready for anything, prepare for coming prophecy It's like we're living in the movie Idiocracy No second guessing, I got weapons, I got ammunition Both in the spiritual and physical, I have a mission Protect my faith and my family from the opposition I'm not afraid to take a stand and make a split decision I know my rights, I know the law, so don't you tread on me Won't turn my cheek if you try to take my liberty What in the world could be happening When everyone that you know has been controlled into panicking Mind control like the mannequins Is this a sign of the times? Revelation unraveling What in the world could be happening When everyone that you know has been controlled into panicking Mind control like the mannequins once again, that's Revelation Unraveling by Destiny Lab. Now, I think I, they have great uh, lyrics, but um, it's not my favorite style of rap, but I like their, um, you know, the, the topics that they explore. It's very fringy. So that one was uh, related to the topic at hand, which is what I've been trying to do. So... Um, now I'm going to read Revelation verse or chapter 20. And um, this was the other chapter that I think convinced me of a post-tribulation rapture. And it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, 
and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So, you see, the first resurrection includes those who did not take the mark of the beast. Now, the argument I've heard is that the first resurrection is comes in more than one phase. <laughs> in other words, the, the church gets raptured at the beginning of the tribulation, and then at the end of the tribulation, the, uh, the elect, or the, the, those that did not take the mark of the beast, gets raptured. So they would say... Both of those is part of the first resurrection. <laughs> Seems kind of like a stretch to me, but again, um, anyway, it just seems pretty clear to me that this is, again, there's no evidence in the chapter of any kind of rapture taking place before this. Uh, in, in fact, when I read through Revelation, this seemed to be the first evidence, the first Actually, Revelation 19, where it says, you know, that the the Son of Man comes in the clouds is the first time in the whole chapter. And after several, several chapters about the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist, and all of that stuff, night, Revelation 19 seems to be the first place that mentions the the rapture. Now there's people that try to put the rapture in other places earlier in Revelation, but you kind of have to you kind of have to make it mean that. Like if you're just reading it passive like if you're just reading through it, you'd never know think that was the rapture. But in Revelation 19 is the first time it actually says the son of man comes down. And uh anyway, so those are, you know, those are two chapters that I, that have convinced me of the post-tribulation rapture. And, um, you know, just something for you to think about. And again, this is not a salvation issue, but as I would say about any topic that I've come to, I would say study the scriptures, read through the scriptures, pray and ask God to help you understand. You know, don't just take one teacher's view of it. Don't take my view of it. Read it for yourself. Um, try to hear different sides. You know, a good debate is always uh, very educational, I think. Uh, my roommate's dog is barking in the background. I'm sorry. But... Um, Try to, try to um, you know, read scripture and pray, listen to different views, 
And, um, you know, uh, I think there's still things about end times I don't understand. And there's always a chance I could change my my view again on this, um, you know. But in the next several episodes, we're going to be going through some some things. I think the next one will look at the book of Daniel and the kingdoms um, and what it says about the kingdoms in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. And uh, this will be, uh, I think, the next one. And then, um, yeah, I'm not sure where we'll go from there, but I, I definitely want to get into like the the final beast empire and who I think it is. And also the, uh, the stat, sorry, not the statue, the, uh, the, the mystery Babylon, the woman that rides the beast. And I stumbled upon some passages that seem to clarify to me who that is. So we'll get to that. And it's not who I thought it was six months ago. <laughs> Although I think what I what I thought it was six months ago is still a part of it, but um, I don't think it's it's what the Bible states. But I think what the Bible states and what I thought it was are connected. So I wasn't, you know. Anyway, so you know, there's some interesting things to to come about. Uh, on this series and I'm not exactly sure where I'll go, but I think the next one will be the kingdoms in Daniel two and Daniel seven. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and so, Oh, you know what? Uh, the other thing I could do is the signs of the end times. So there's, there's chapters for that as well. So, um, either signs of the end times or, (laughs) You know, those are just different episodes coming up. So Signs of the End Times, the Kingdoms, um, the Beast, and the, uh, and, the, and the Woman that Rides the Beast. So, and, and there might be a couple of other things I'm not thinking of at this moment. But uh, it's things to look forward to. As always, if you want to ask me a question, contact me. My email address is truthtransistorradio at gmail.com. And uh, I would love to hear from anyone that has, you know, anything they want to tell me, anything they want to ask, anything they, you know, if they want to get in contact with me and talk on the phone, uh, I would go through the email first. You know, and if you want to curse me out because you hate the things I'm saying or you want to say how terrible my voice is, uh, all that is is cool with me. So, you know, I know that I'm a very limited, flawed person and uh, I'm not perfect, but I think that I'm comfortable, at least at this point in my life, with who I am and uh, who God has made me to be. So uh, God is the only perfect one. I'm just here as a vessel and, you know, sharing what I think. And I'm sure people will disagree with me. And I'm sure that I'm not right about everything. So that is, you know, 
I'm just trying to stretch this out to get to an hour, but <laughs> not really. But um, all right. Thank you all and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesome podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16 18. Rob, go for instructions.